May I read our scripture again from James 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The last time that we were together we spoke about being quick to hear. Today we're going to talk about the anger of man. It's a problem that is rampant today. We read earlier in Sunday school that as time draws near for the end of time, that the love of many will wax cold. There is a level of anger that is present throughout all of our world, and it's in our own hearts, and that's what the Lord is bringing to us in these words. But as we begin to look at these words again, I feel compelled all over again to remind us that God was very purposeful in his choosing of the writers of these scriptures. Here, the Apostle James, the biological half-brother of the Lord Jesus. And for reasons that God alone knows about, he poured out his holiest of truths through a very select group of men. Men with varied mindsets and personalities and he did it solely for your and my benefit blessing us by our then being able to better relate what would otherwise be incomprehensibly pure and heavy inspired truths and concepts how do you receive such pure and holy truths with such a weak and and frail human mind. One of the necessities was for God to pass it through very similar minds to ours, in this case, James. But these words still remain the inspired word of God. Because they were passed through the mind of James does not take away any portion of their purity and holiness. They are inspired. And just to remind you of what that means, the word inspired means that it's breathed out by God himself into the minds of the writers. I'm a visual thinker. And I can imagine that. Just as Jesus, as he formed Adam, reached and took hold of him and breathed into him the breath of life. God did that same sort of thing when he breathed in to everyone that wrote every one of the words of this scripture. 2 Timothy 3, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These words were breathed into the minds of every one of these writers, and in this case, James. Now over in Second Peter, we can read where after he breathed these truths into the minds of the writers, God then led those writers, each one of them, in this case James, to present his truths 
God's truths in such a way that no reader should possibly mistake any of the meanings of these words as coming from the mind of individual writers. Unbelievers believe this is just the writings of men. But you and I know that they're not. And that's what he's saying here. And this is what God said about what he did with writers such as James. It says, this is Second Peter 1.20, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. None of this came from James's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men, listen, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Between those two sets of verses there in 2 Timothy and here in, in 2 Peter, you and I should not have any question about these truths, about them being infallible. They came from God. They were breathed out by God into the minds of these writers. And then the Holy Spirit moved them along to put them down into writing for you and me. And now we have them. And I'm reading them for you today. All done by the Holy Spirit. And all we have to do is be faithful to surrender ourselves to Christ as we read and as we hear them. And then there will be no corruption of our personal understanding as we read and hear them. As I said a few weeks ago, God selected James in this case to present this information that we read, these words that we read. He did that for a real special reason. He chose James's personality, actually formed James's personality so that he would present them to us in the way that we could relate to. Here, James, as I mentioned earlier, he doesn't beat around the bush. James, he doesn't soften what he has to say. He just speaks it with a direct approach. And that's because some people need a direct approach. Here he speaks of anger and of the origins of anger and how it affects us. He tells us here, listen again to these words. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness. Now that's one of the origins. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's how we, that's the origin of our anger. It's the stuff that rests within us that we've accumulated over time. And he says, instead, he says, put that away and instead receive the meekness of the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, in the language of today, these words would be said to be in your face, demanding. And they should be that way, convicting each of us as to examine why we have this tendency to so quickly become angry and to examine what our responses are to that anger. Because each time that we fly off the handle, whether we do that very quietly within our own minds and it doesn't explode to the surface like it does with some of us, or we have this open rant that we get on, whatever our response is, It does not, he tells us here, produce the righteousness of God. As I was reading this, I thought of 
some of the common responses to this, to anger, how people will take these, especially the verses in Ephesians 4, and say, well, I had a righteous anger at that time. Have you heard anybody say that kind of thing? Those words in Ephesians 4. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. May I say to you, for myself, I can never remember an incident in which I could claim that my anger was righteous. Every memory that I have of my anger, I have to say, float out of wretchedness within me. Nothing righteous. And may I say I have seldom ever heard someone expressing anger that I thought was righteous. So I think that those words there in Ephesians 4 seldom take place with you and me. Verse 20 again says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's because it's not righteous. It doesn't come out of us righteous and it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So let me ask you then, as we begin this study here today, is anger a problem within your soul? Is it a regular part of your nature? Now, in me asking that, I know that there is a defensive mechanism within most all of us that reaches to answer that question in the kindest way possible to ourselves, protecting ourselves from the real truth. I'm not angry. I can't remember the last time I was angry, you might want to say. But listen, God wants us to examine ourselves. However anger might be packaged within your soul, within my soul, it is there with most all of us. I think I've only known one person that I very seldom ever ever saw him angry. But I know that deep within his soul, he still had this underlying level of anger about different things. He just didn't express it. So you can have the anger, but just simply not express it outwardly so that everybody can view it and know that you're angry. Now, I've confessed to you on other occasions that anger has been a problem within my personality most all of my life. It's caused me difficulties all along the way. From my earliest memories, I seem to always have at least some base level of a seething kind of anger. And it manifested itself with insensitivity, impatience, holding everybody accountable for everything that they did, every action, every behavior. In my work days, I've been a task-oriented person. And I've often valued the completion of a job above the person that's doing the work. Now, thankfully, I am very thankful that in my salvation, God has been generous to me. His Spirit now does work daily within my soul to help me keep my errant ways under control. And by the way, that's part of the great treasure of the blessing that we get from the fruits 
of the Spirit as the Holy Spirit lives within us. He brings with Him love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, goodness, self-control. And so I have His help daily. Now, over my years, I have intentionally taken time to know my personality. But today, because of these words, I want to ask you, do you know your personality? Have you taken time to get to know your personality? Because these words here are implying that you and I need to know ourselves and to ask the question, do I have a problem with anger? And again, your anger may not be packaged in the same way that mine is. But based on these words that we're reading here today, I can legitimately say to you that you probably do have a problem with anger even if you don't know about it. Because these words don't supply an if within them. There seems to be an assumption within these words that each of us over our lifetimes has accumulated a basis of anger. And and that basis is here described as this filthiness and rampant wickedness. Do you perceive that you have filthiness and rampant wickedness within your soul? Let me suggest that, and strongly so, that you do, simply because there's no if in here. You and I have this, and it's a foundation for what erupts into anger. It's resident within our souls, and it, when it gets provoked in the right way, more aptly in the wrong way, it erupts. So, are we consciously aware that that foundation is within us? Most of us, we probably don't know it. We're not consciously aware of it. One of my favorite loved ones harbors long-held bitterness and resentment. Bitterness and resentment that she would vehemently deny exists. It found a stronghold within her heart long ago. And I can hear it interlaced through our conversations whenever I talk with her. But she doesn't know that she has this level of anger. I used to be so aware and think of it's a controlled form of anger. Out in the world today, you have anger management being taught. Anger management. There's something basically wrong with that. Keep it. Just manage it. You don't get rid of it. You don't put it away, as Scripture says. You just manage it. There's a stronghold. Scripture talks about strongholds. There are often strongholds within our hearts. And here God is plainly instructing us that we need to examine ourselves carefully and to know that there is a foundation of anger that exists within most all of us. And if left unattended, that anger is going to corrupt and it's going to contaminate all of the many other parts of our lives. How it manifests itself will be specific to your personality, to my personality. But in each case, it's never going to work the righteousness of God. And it's not going to please those people around you, those people that love you the most, that you don't want to hurt, but you do. I want to look at each of these verses carefully. Let me read them again. 
Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Now notice here that James addresses the readers as beloved brothers. Those words make an assumption that those who are reading are believing Christians. And that's an important distinction. Very important distinction because an underlying truth that governs these words, all of the words of Scripture, is that an unbelieving mind is really not capable of discerning the nature and the meaning of God's truths. Spiritual truths can only be discerned through the Holy Spirit who indwells within a believing person. And that's a painful truth. Because there are so many good people, but unbelieving people, who can read these same words and never gain from them. Never gain from them because they don't perceive that these words are really pertaining to them. I'm not angry. I keep mine under control. How sad. How sad for them. Now, the second implication within these words is that our anger is often provoked within common daily conversations and often instantaneously so. That's especially so with me, and it will also be with you. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, so you're involved in a conversation, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Short confession. On our recent trip to Israel, it was so enjoyable. So enjoyable. But as will happen, when you're crowded with 300 other people on an airplane, when you are walking down these streets where elbow to elbow with people uh, there in Jerusalem, we found reason to... and most everyone would find reason to be provoked to anger. Whether it be by our fellow travelers or airline personnel or or others, it was noted by our tour director that the Arabs talked very loudly to each other. They had an argumentative presentation of their language which we did not understand, but you can tell it was argumentative. Level of anger that lived within their common conversation. Now, on my very last encounter with airport personnel there in Memphis, I found myself being provoked to anger. Their last opportunity to provoke me to anger, and they did, As we were leaving the airplane and heading towards the baggage claim area, I became separated from the others in my group. And so I sought direction from this airport staff member. By this time, there were two people in this big corridor, her and me, no other live souls. And I asked her for help, and she immediately was unkind immediately. I had an expectation that she would help me because that was why she was there. 
but she chose otherwise. I don't know why. I don't know her. But as she chose to be unkind, then my anger flared within me. And I responded wrongly to her. Now fortunately, I did walk away fairly quickly before I let it get out of hand and I shamed the name of the Lord. But I was angry. I was angry. On a moment's provocation. I didn't want to be angry. But the presence of these conditions in verse 21 were evident in my life and in her life. Therefore, put away all filthiness, whatever that might look like in your and my life, my life in this case, her life, filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, yes, I'm convinced that the devil was very present within that whole transaction, in that girl's behavior and in mine. But listen, I am always held personally accountable for my behavior before the Lord. Whatever that girl was suffering, whatever the conditions, I'm accountable for my behavior. And my anger will not, and it did not, produce the righteousness of God. I needed to repent of that, and I did. But it bothers me. I need to always be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, Because I do know that the anger of man, my anger, does not produce the righteousness of God. I don't know why. Again, the reasons for my anger. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. But he also gives me the remedy. He says, and receive with meekness the implanted word. That's what we're getting here today. The implanted word. Now back when we studied the book of Ephesians, we spent several weeks considering what God calls the old man and the new man within us, within each one of us. And He tells us there that as believers, we are to put off the old man and his ways and to put on the new. The implication being that we come into our new relationship of salvation bringing with us lots of our old ways. Again, here in this text, described as filthiness and rampant wickedness. And they are this underlying cause of our anger. And yes, the blood of Christ at our salvation is able to wash away all of our sins and all of our sinful ways. But listen, as you and I know, practically speaking, that process is not instantaneous to that first moment of our salvation. With most of us, that cleansing that His blood does, it's a longer and sometimes arduous process. We are saved by Christ's blood, yes. But we need to be sanctified. Whole portions of Scripture on that part. And that's what He's talking about. You and I are required to do our part in that sanctification. We're required to join in with the Holy Spirit as He over time washes those old ways of the old man away. Listen to these words. This is Ephesians 4 again. You put off, he says, concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to its deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, 
which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is part of that transformation that God desires to take place within our soul, without which we'll continue to use our old ways all the time. That's the way we always acted, so we'll continue with it in our Christianity. And he said, no, I don't want you to do that. You're to put away all that old life of anger and frustration and arguments and on and on. He says, I have a better plan for you. He speaks of it in Romans 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service and worship. And he says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not argue back with this girl who wants to argue. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Here God with precept upon precept is telling us that we are to become new in Him. We're to put aside those old ways because that is not us anymore. We are no longer, we no longer belong to the flesh. We have given our hearts to Christ. We belong to Him. And it's by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that He puts into us that He'll guide our thoughts and our behaviors to remember this implanted Word that we're speaking about here today. Therefore, put off all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your soul. One other thought before we close. We're assured in 2 Peter 1 that we already have everything that we need in this implanted Word for life and godliness. If we have received Christ as our Savior and Lord, and that's specific to those of us who have, if we have received Christ as our Savior and Lord, then in 2 Peter 1 verse 3 we read, His divine power has granted to us all that we will need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of His divine nature. We, we start to conduct our lives, behave as Christ, having escaped from the corruption that's in this world because of our sinful desires. You you and I do not need to respond with anger and frustration. We really can be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And oh, how long for that to be my first response every time that I walk down one of those airport corridors and I encounter someone who wants to provoke me. How I long to remember that God is always, ever and always at work, both in that person's life, giving them the opportunity for life and godliness, and also mine, and for me to show forth His righteousness in my behavior. Let me close with these words. Know this, my beloved brothers, sisters, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's pray.